listening to Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Our guest today is Dr. Gerald McGuire. He's chair of psychiatry at Doc One Health and professor at California University of Science and Medicine. Today's show will focus on the topic of stuttering. There's currently clinical trials taking place. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very, very much. I appreciate the opportunity. First, talk to me about the issues of stuttering and the millions in the United States living with this disorder. And is it fair to call it a disorder? It is. Now, there's some talk about is it a disorder, is it a condition, but it's a difference in the brain. It sure is. And it can impact uh, one neg- negatively on their social and occupational and academic function. Yes. Okay. So share the effect it has had on individuals that the public may not take into consideration. And I'm looking for maybe examples here that you know of that what right. stuttering can mean to the individual that stutters. Right. Well, thank you so much. And you, that maybe you could tell already that I'm passionate about this field as I'm a person who stutters myself. And it's in my family, it's affected my family and that my older brother uh, was severely affected by this. And that stuttering is not just what you hear and what you observe. It's what's behind that so much for the person. The impact of what verbal communication has on the stigma of society. Uh, we, as people who stutter, we know, unfortunately, there's still discrimination that we uh, face. Studies have shown that we're underemployed, uh, often more unemployed for the level of education that we have. And there's still discrimination in, in the fields, like having every job placement says verbal communication skills, right? So things are there with that. So it does impact us, but then even the biology of stuttering makes us unfortunately more prone to anxiety. We also believe maybe depression and unfortunately that affected my brother and it can lead to, you know, impacts on quality of life. And I think unfortunately for some who really struggle even on the quantity of life. So I want to talk a little bit on what you said. And the one thing that I picked up was the underemployed. So you can have people with great ability, great genius minds, great talent, but because they can't get through the interview, is that where it is? Or what's the cause there for the underemployment? So it could be not getting the job that they are capable of doing because they can't get through the interview or not getting the promotion because, well, this person doesn't communicate well. I even hear it where they'll say, well, lacks passion in the word, doesn't seem to assert him or herself or Mm. Because of the verbal communication, we get misjudged. And we know so much so that communication, for my role as a psychiatrist, it's so much more about the empathy and the listening and the understanding. There are many fluent people out there who are horrible communicators. (laughs) And there are excellent communicators of those of us who stutter. Because there's so much more, I believe, to communication than just fluent speech. So you've dedicated your life seeking effective treatments for stuttering. I'm wondering if you'll share a little bit about the clinical trials, phase one, phase two, or what's going on here in our Inland Empire region. Perfect. So we're one of the leading sites. We've been uh, setting this forward. I began at UC Irvine, then I took my mission to UCR, and now with DOC1 and California University of Science and Medicine. We are really leading the way on developing novel biologic therapies uh, for those of us who stutter. And we've understood now some of the work that we've done over the years to understand that stuttering is a brain condition. It's there are certain regions of the brain uh, that's related to like the switch of the brain for timing and initiation of speech 
it's not consistent in everyone, but we do believe that we know that one of the brain chemicals, dopamine, seems to be out of balance in many individuals. And we've used medicines off-label um, for, say, for Tourette's disorder or bipolar that's shown to be effective in many people who stutter, not all, but not one of them has gone through the funding to get through an FD indication. Mm -hmm. But now we're toward that, we hope. We've got uh, two trials, uh, one that's just concluding the phase two, but it's a work that we originally did during my time at UCR, and uh, that has been brought forward now. It's been picked up by a company called MLX. You know, we learned this from the COVID vaccines. Like, you might have a good idea, but eventually, there's, you know, to get through the funding, there's going to be a pharma or a biotech company that brings that through. This is phase two. Many individuals from the Inland Empire region participate in that trial. We finished enrollment. We're analyzing that. We're hopeful to have a, an answer of results here soon in the coming months. And that's a placebo control. That involved about 68 subjects around the uh, country on that. And if that yields positive results with that agent, that agent works on the dopamine one receptor. If that's positive, we'll go on with a larger phase three and a study. And if that meets statistical significance, submit to the FDA and hopefully have an FDA approved agent on the market. And did you have early signs of anything yet? Great. So we did this while I was at UCR, we did the first pilot study of humans, which actually published positive results. That's published public information. That was the preliminary study. And then that led to this phase two. We're also going to soon be starting a new study right here in the, the IE of a, a compound that's a PDE10 inhibitor, also works on the dopamine system. We've received funding from a company in Switzerland, Noema, and uh, that's now public and we'll be starting first a validation study uh, that is going to begin hopefully even this weekend. We'll be enrolling for that. And then um, from there, a phase two trial of that compound and hopefully others come. So based on your age and mine, yes. what have been the treatments? What are current treatments for those that are just learning that they're stuttering? What's currently available? What's available, your stuttering usually begins in childhood, mm -hmm. and then it, it can persist into adulthood. So what's most important uh, is that when a child begins to stutter or, you know, especially when there's a family history, get seen and evaluated by a good speech language pathologist who specializes in stuttering or fluency. Uh, disorders understand that. And we believe that uh, early intervention with different forms of speech therapy can be effective mm -hmm. in preventing that child into persisting into adulthood with the stuttering. Then other forms of speech therapy can be effective and even forms of psychotherapy like cognitive behavioral therapies as well, at least in dealing with the impact of the condition and the social anxiety that unfortunately, and even the depression that can come with this condition. And that's also then where in the older adolescents, and we won't have those studies yet more, but the studies will begin like we did with the COVID vaccines, adults, and then maybe get into the adolescents and just to see where we go. But then I really envision in the future kind of a team where the, the psychiatrist or the neurologist or the primary care physician will work closely, say, with psychology and speech language pathology in this comprehensive care that we utilize for people with depression and anxiety we know that integrative care is really the way to go. And so that's what I see. But for now, speech language pathology, early intervention for the child when it begins. And how early might we see signs of stuttering? Would it be when they first speaking or yeah. what are early signs? 
great. So we normally see a peak, you know, when they can begin speaking, but definitely before like age eight. We actually now know too that there are different causes, and I may say this term, of stuttering. Some may be a genetic cause. We don't know all the difference. Some, you know, thanks to my colleagues in Sweden, we've worked on this. Some could be an autoimmune cause. It's rare, but mm. where the child may have had, say, an infection and uh, say a strep throat or something, and it triggers like an antibody response to the brain. So that's actually now determined as it's a rare cause, but it can happen. So we're also learning that one size does not fit all. <laughs> that, you know, people might have different high blood pressure, different causes. And stuttering is going to be the same way. So it's unique of what that therapy approach would be. Why are some able to speak without stuttering as an adult, but they had stuttering issues as a child? Clearly, if you were a stutterer yourself and you speak very well now, do you grow out of it? Does the therapy Great question. make the change? Right. Well, I did not grow out of it. I'm on a medication right now. Not the one I'm investigating, but something similar prescribed by a colleague uh, mm. of mine. And I did persist into adulthood. I'm of that group that did not recover from childhood to adulthood. But we are learning that stuttering is a developmental condition. And a child's brain is developing. And especially what we call the white matter tracks, like the insulation on the nerves and the connections in that circuitry. Some we don't know, you know that how we're beginning to work and thanks to the work of others to be able to predict, say, through brain imaging, what child may recover and what child may persist into adulthood. One of the signs has been if there's a family history of persistence in adulthood, but now we're even to look at, so likely what it is that those tracks are developing. And to some, they don't fully develop. And they like what happened with me and my brother and others is this persistence in adulthood where others have this recovery. And we don't know what leads to that, the brain connections. Is it puberty? Is it hormonal? Who knows what it is. And there's a lot uh, of mysteries of the brain that we don't fully understand. Your brother stuttered, you stutter. So it sounds like there could be a genetic component and you, you touched on it briefly. Is there anything more you can say about possible genetic component there? Oh yeah. There's a strong genetic component, not for everyone. There are cases where individuals develop that. There could be different causes there. But yes, stuttering is strongly genetic, maybe more genetic than what we see, say, for schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or other conditions of the brain. We have done work, uh, my colleagues, of identifying certain genes. In fact, I'm working with a researcher at the National Institute of Health who has a collaboration with us right here at CUSM and DOC1 on being able to understand um, the genes that we've picked up and other work's been done and then putting that into an animal to be able to study. It's interesting of what that may lead to. But it's not going to be one gene, all of stuttering. There'll probably be different genetic causes right. and others that might be something else. But yeah, so there are, we've identified some candidate genes and now we're studying what those effects might be in animals and eventually developing therapeutics around that. You're listening to Inland Edition on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez with Dr. Gerald McGuire from Doc One Health and the California University of Science and Medicine. Our conversation about stuttering will continue after a quick break. Stay with us. This is Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez. If you're just joining us, we're talking about stuttering with the Chair of Psychiatry at Doc One Health and Professor at California University of Science and Medicine, Dr. Gerald McGuire. 
Now, let me ask, is there a point where stuttering can maybe flare up because of anxiety or stress? Could that be a thing? You hit the nail on the head on that one. Yes, it does. Stress and anxiety does make stuttering worse. And stuttering makes anxiety worse. So they go on each other. But there's also, we don't understand why there are flares. And we see flares of waxing and waning, say, for Tourette's disorder, which is also a similar region of the brain. And interestingly, it seems to respond to similar medic medications. Could this be something with the stress hormones or others? Could it be something with, say, an autoimmune? What, why is it that we see, we do have fluctuations in different neurotransmitters. We know we can change up some good work of one of my colleagues has looked at sleep. We know that there's likely a disruption in sleep for those of us who stutter, but it's also the person who stutters. We will feel like today's a good day or today is just not my day. So we have to really, that would help us unravel that mystery. But what's also interesting, what can be frustrating for us, it's not just that good or bad day. You're probably going to ask us, why is it that 98% of us are fluent when we sing? Yeah, Mel that's Tillis. that's what I was going to say. Mel Tillis is a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Or even right. actors like uh, James yeah. Earl Jones or, or whatever. Right. That uh, I think uh, Henry Winkler was a stutter as well. Was, and yeah. so how actors, when they need to perform, are able to do it. Mel Tillis was able to sing with no yeah. stuttering. And yet the minute he yeah. stopped singing, the stuttering would reappear. Right. And Mel is not unique. Nine, 98% of us or even more, more so with the developmental form, we're fluent when we sing or we speak to a rhythm. With James Earl Jones, I believe, I, I never met him, but it's almost like he's disguising his voice. Like we disguise, like, this is CNN, yeah, when he Luke, goes, my right. son, right? Yes. Right. And I think the actors will say that. Like, for instance, when I'm lecturing, I'm pacing on stage because if I get my motor system going, I'm a little better. And so I think that, that was almost like a sing-song mm -hmm. sort of pattern for them. And we do know there's different tracks of our speech in the brain. And the natural spontaneous speech, I say, with the spontaneous speech that I'm doing now goes through that basal ganglia region, which is where it's the timing's off for us. And through, through medications that we're doing other, with other forms of therapy might work too, where we can modulate that, improve that. However, we bypass and it's intact for those of us who stutter. If we have that rhythmic input, we can bypass the natural timer in speech and just sing fluently. Hmm. I'm hearing yeah. a lot of similarities that I'm comparing to autism with the sleep, right. with the things firing, with the brain. I want to ask you about the medication that sure. you are hoping to try or you've tried on a few people that isn't made for stuttering. That's not its purpose, but it's probably like an off-label. Yeah, there's a lot of those on the market that we've actually tested, not in huge studies, but I'll use for Tourette's disorder, bipolar mm. disorder, depression. Now we are, the, the agents that we're doing now are being specifically tested and designed for stuttering, mm. the new ones that we're doing, those studies that are going through the FDA trials. But yeah, we have published data of agents that can be used for Tourette's uh, disorder. We published on these agents and that's where a clinician, a physician work, you know, can decide with that patient who makes an informed choice of the risk and benefits, not FDA approved for stuttering. There is evidence to support it, but that would be an off-label use. Yeah. Mm. So there are medicines there. And now we're developing agents that are being developed specifically for stuttering and are going through that FDA process with the goal of actually having an indication specifically for stuttering. And are the medications only for adolescents and adults or is for the young ones too? Because 
Let's face yeah. it, stuttering is hard. I'm, I'm not speaking yeah. for you, but yes. middle school would be a horrible time to get through that. It's tough enough getting through middle school and high school. So having that, those issues would seem to compound life. So are medications only for adults or what's the prognosis there? It's a great question. And you really speak to the impact of stuttering on the adolescent and the child and the impact. That's why I said, don't delay therapy. Don't necessarily wait. So we're, our new medications we're testing first in adults mm. and have shown to be safe and effective there. Yeah, we're going to go to the adolescents, right? And then the safe and effective, do we consider going into younger children? For instance, one of the agents that we use off-label is approved in Tourette's disorder as young as kids at age six. So we have to maybe consider that if we show the safety in adults and the efficacy, and then in adolescents, yeah, we would go because it is so impactful, but also there to work with different forms of psychotherapy and speech therapy in a comprehensive treatment approach. So I was going to ask about the therapy and therapy tends to be speech therapy that students either get in school or in private practice, the speech therapy. And what does that look like? Great. So there are different forms of that speech therapy. Unfortunately, many of them are not covered by health insurance plans. We don't aren't viewed as a parity diagnosis, but we're working on that because that's where depression was and anxiety, and we understand that now. There are different approaches to uh, speech therapy. One may take what, like a fluency shape and actually work on the words and really work at the fluency. Others, but we're going to work on the quality of life of that child, how to deal with the societal impact of that stuttering, but also shown to be effective as well as different cognitive behavioral therapies focusing on the anticipation, the social anxiety and others. And that's where medications can also be utilized to help that social anxiety. But stuttering is not an anxiety no. disorder in of itself. It's a motor disorder. It's a motor uh, coordination disorder of which anxiety can make worse. And that we people who stutter tend to have a higher basal risk of that as well. Why is this issue so important to you? Obviously, family and yourself. But Tell me why you took this by the horn and decided to yeah. run with this issue. Well, this mission in my life. Well, because I saw it that how was it that we we're understanding other conditions of the brain, but we were largely ignoring stuttering. There's so much stigma and myths. Mm -hmm. Even my first presentation at a stuttering conference, not with MDs. I'm one of the few MDs around the world that's working on stuttering. Hopefully that will change and we'll all work as a team. But it was believed that I was breastfed too long or that it was brought on by my parents and I learned I was getting positive reinforcement for being a child who stutters. I said, well, you know, those, those were myths we had about schizophrenia and depression. I wanted to work to, to dispel that. So we're the first to publish about imaging studies called PET imaging and showing there's a dip, difference in the brain. And I firmly believe that when we understand the science of our brains as persons who stutter, the world understands that, the stigma will lessen and go away. Tell me, what is the Speak Freely study? Okay, that's a study of Ecopipam. That's an agent that we're just completed enrollment. That's a phase two agent. That's now sponsored by Amalex, which is the biotech company that supported that. That's work that we originally began at UCR during my time there. And now it's a multi-center study. And that is concluded enrollment, and we're going to analyze that data here very soon. And that's that study. And if that's positive, then we go to a phase three. If it's negative, eh. <laughs> right? 
What is your greatest takeaway? What do you want the public to know about stuttering a little bit more? We people who stutter have ability. Judge us on our ability, not our disability. And understand that we have a brain difference and embrace acceptance and that acceptance and acceptance of treatment and therapy are not mutually exclusive. That there is therapy there and we're working toward it we want the world to understand and accept it. We accept ourselves, the world accepts us. And for those that are listening and watching this interview, where can they go for more support, more information? Where do you recommend? I recommend they, they check us through various groups like the World Stuttering Network, which is a fantastic world global stuttering group, uh, as well as Friends Who Stutter, which is a great organization that really targets the youth who stutter and different support groups and levels of information that can be spread there as well too. And keep in touch with us at DOC1 and and CUSM because we're your resource right here as well. And are those uh, World Stuttering Network and Friends Who Stutter, is that located locally here in the Inland Empire or is that a national thing? How Right. So is it online? Oh, it is online, yeah. World Stuttering Network is virtual, based in uh, Florida, and friends based in Colorado, but they'll have uh, support groups and virtual support groups. There's a lot of good support out there and seek that out. What's the first thing you tell a mom or dad that's desperate to help their child? Depends on the age, right? So Mm -hmm. the first thing Japan said, I I work with a good speech therapist at the University of Redlands out here is a mm-hmm. great program under Dr. Lisa LaSalle. And in Orange County, where Doc One is also based, I work closely with Lauren McGill at the OC Stuttering Center. So go to a really good speech therapist for that early time, be educated, you know, understand, join the various different support groups uh, and gain that understanding. You're not alone. Uh, your child can accomplish great things. And there's help out there, help and support. And like at this point, I wouldn't say we can cure stuttering, but it's to me, cure is not a four-letter word. <laughs> and uh, doctors don't cure much of anything. We treat things. We, right? we treat diabetes. We treat hypertension. We treat depression. Stuttering is no different. We're, we're going to strive for that. We're going to strive to always help and be there for support, develop better therapies, and advocacy as well, too. And understand that your child can accomplish great things. We're just going to help that person along the way. Dr. Jeremy McGuire, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. And good luck with those trials. I hope they prove positive. Thank you. And I want to thank you for giving a voice to those of us who stutter. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Dr. Gerald McGuire is chair of psychiatry at Doc One Health and professor at California University of Science and Medicine. We'll include a link to the article that inspired this episode when we post today's show on the Inland Edition program page at kvcrnews.org slash Inland Edition. Join us again next week for Inland Edition, Wednesday at 2 p.m. and 6.30, right here on KVCR. To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website, at kvcrnews.org slash Inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or search for Inland Edition on your favorite streaming service. 
Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, and David Fleming. We get technical, website, and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Natasha Coles. I'm Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.